if you've ever felt worried or you felt on the brink of burnout, or even if you have burned out, well, then this series on RAP is for you. Welcome to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast, exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential. Your host is Sarah Price Hancock, Certified Rehabilitation Counselor with an Advanced Certificate in Psychiatric Rehabilitation and a trained peer support specialist. Sarah currently works as a psych rehab and recovery consultant, guest lecturing for universities and organizations determined to improve the quality of life. So let's discuss emotional self-reliance with your host, Sarah. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast. Like Rick said, I'm Sarah Price Hancock, and... We're broadcasting to you live here in 2019. Can you believe it, folks? Happy New Year. As tradition, we're going to start out with three things that went well for me today. And then we'll go into an email from one of my 27 listeners. Yes, folks, we've grown our audience. We've got 27 listeners now. As tradition, we're going to go ahead and talk about what's going well with an explanation as to why it went well. So here are three things that went well for me today. The first thing was I did a load of wash because I enjoy wearing clean clothes. I like the way they smell. I like the way they feel. And I like that warm feeling coming out of the dryer. Number two, a friend called me out of the blue because she was thinking about me and she chose to act on it. It totally made my day. Number three, I made a dinner so yummy that my sweetie said it was in the top five of his favorites. I attribute that to, well, I've been working on relearning how to cook. Not only have I forgotten all my cooking experience, but I have started living this new lifestyle about two years ago, which has required an entire revitalization of my dietary intake. I am relearning how to cook, and I'm having a lot of fun doing that, and I'm so excited that I made a food so good tonight that my sweetie said it was in his top five. That just made me feel great. And I wanted to share with you something. I got an email from my new friend, Ashlyn, who lives in the Midwest, and she shared with me three things that went well for her. She wanted everyone to just hear about some of the successes that are going in her life. And so this is what she's told me. She said, today what went well was that she woke up in time to get ready for her part-time job at Walmart because she loves her fiance and their home together. And she says that living with a disability and working while taking meds makes her one tough lady. And I have to agree. Number two, she says she also woke up and took her meds even though she didn't want to because she is responsible and she knows that she can't stop taking them without the right help. And that is very, very true. These meds cause dependence and we need to support the entire body in order to successfully titrate off of them. So we'll talk about that in another episode. And number three, she says something that went well today was that she opened her heart to a new therapist and decided to come back to therapy. She did that because she says, I'm smart and I'm ready to heal from this emotional roller coaster that I've been on for 10 years. You know what, Ashlyn? Hooray for you. I am so excited and proud of you. I can't wait to hear how this unfolds. Thank you so much for sharing with us all that went well and why you felt it went well. If you would like to share with us some of your successes and tell us what's going well in your life and why you feel it's going well, go ahead and shoot me an email 
at emotionalselfreliancepodcast at gmail.com. And maybe you can have your successes heard by the entire world through this podcast. So today we're going to be talking about rap. And I'm not talking about the burrito-like sandwich. I'm talking about a wellness recovery action plan created by Miller Ellen Copeland. She's one of my heroes, and I'll tell you why in a second. But the interesting thing about RAP is that even though it was developed specifically to help people with symptoms of mental illness, anyone can use it because, well, let's face it, we all experience human emotions, we all have stress, we've all felt overwhelmed, we've all felt frustrated, or even sad at times. If you've ever felt worried, or you've felt on the brink of burnout, or even if you have burned out, well, then this series on rap is for you. So we'll have several episodes in a row and they'll all be dealing with different components of the rap. Back to Mary Ellen Copeland. Like I said, she lives with symptoms of severe mental illness and she pulled her life together and went to graduate school. She's one of those people that I learned about and I looked at her and I thought, you know what, if she can do it, then I can do it. And I have to say, if I can do it, then you can do it. So anyway, while in graduate school, her dissertation was to identify what people who lived with symptoms of mental illness did to live successfully with their symptoms. And she found out a lot of patterns in her interviewing hundreds of people. And she interwove those patterns and, and developed what we now refer to as the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And it has been so well studied that it's actually officially registered with SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration here in the United States, as an evidence-based practice. So we're talking stellar stuff here. Learning how to take care of your yourself and being able to do that. This is really an exciting program. And I guess one of the reasons I'm so thrilled about it is because it completely changed my life. When I learned that someone who lived with symptoms created this program, immediately I knew I had to try it. I had confidence that if it worked for her, it could work for me. And it wasn't something that was theoretical that professionals felt might work. It was something that she'd actually used to keep herself healthy for many, many years and helping people get on the path and stay on the path of recovery. After learning how to create and use a wrap, my ability to successfully live with my symptoms was launched into hyper warp drive. And to date, in using my wrap, I've enjoyed remission from any symptoms of mental health for gosh, going on eight years. That's not to say I haven't been completely symptom-free during that period of time, but I've gone from actually going into the hospital because my symptoms became so bad to recognizing that I was beginning to not feel quite right and getting myself back on track. And now I can rein it in within 20 minutes to 72 hours rather than completely falling apart and ending up in the hospital. Yeah. The Wellness Recovery Action Plan is exactly what it sounds like. It's a plan that you make and you follow in order to maintain or reestablish wellness. And although it's simple, or it seems really simple, it actually took years to develop and refine. This plan is structured to help those who live with symptoms obtain and maintain wellness. But honestly, anyone can use it, like I was saying before. And in the event that wellness begins to slip for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if you're living with symptoms of mental illness or if you're living with symptoms of chronic pain or an autoimmune illness or a really stressful job or being a parent, anything, we can all use a wrap. We can all develop a wrap and families can develop a wrap together. Each member of a family can sit down and develop a wrap together. So in the event that wellness begins to slip, 
a person who's created a wrap knows exactly what they need to do to get back in the wellness saddle. If the illness has progressed beyond your own ability to regain control, the interesting thing about this is that by having a wrap, personal control is maintained because already creating it, they've already written it down. And if you want, you can even get it notarized, which in essence can make it into an advanced directive in many states. And so in essence, the wrap allows the person to still have control over their treatment and over their life, even when they've lost control mentally of their ability to communicate exactly what they need or exactly what they want. As a person progresses in their own journey of recovery, there's this ongoing adaptation of the wrap in order to meet evolving needs. So like I started my wrap way back in, gosh, almost 10 years ago, way back in 2009. You can bet that my wrap now is a lot different than it was back then because my circumstances have entirely changed. The idea of evolving this wrap is that as you begin to recognize what you're like when you're doing well and recognize responses both to external and internal stimuli, you can better create and hone this unique skill set to stay healthy. So before I created my rap, my symptoms literally controlled my life. I thought I had a mental illness, but that didn't matter because no one knew exactly what I was dealing with and I was all over the map with symptoms. Outside of taking my medication, which is basically the only thing the doctor had me doing, and going to counseling appointments, I really thought that there was nothing I could do to rein in my symptoms, especially because my doctor was telling me that my brain was broken and that's just how I was. I just had a diagnosis. I just had a chemical imbalance. I don't think he ever realized that in the 60 years that they've studied trying to find one, they've never been able to identify it. But that's another story. Where was I? Outside of taking my medication, I thought that there was nothing I could do to rein in my symptoms. And I didn't have my life's reins. I wasn't sitting behind the driver's seat of my car. My symptoms were ruling the roost. My symptoms held the reins. And so for 12 years, my illness progressively became worse. It was a combination of being on medications that were harmful, having ECT, and a lot of people say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because once you get a diagnosis, you start stigmatizing yourself. But it's more than that because it's a societal fulfilling prophecy. If no one expects you to do anything, gradually you don't expect yourself to do anything either. President George W. Bush said that pretty clearly when he was talking about the soft bigotry of low expectations. And soft bigotry means that it's not overt bigotry, it's just that those around you just no longer seem to think that you can do anything. And it's kind of this hidden or implied bigotry rather than actually in-your-face bigotry. When this everyone else who isn't dealing with what you're dealing with suddenly doesn't expect you to do anything because of whatever demographic you fall into. So in my case, that was someone living with symptoms of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Ask me if anyone expected anything from me. No. The only thing people expected me to do was to take my medication. And truth be told, the only thing I gradually began to expect of myself, because I just kept failing at everything I was trying was to take my medication. Little did I know, it really wasn't helping because it wasn't addressing the underlying cause of my symptoms. But I digress. So for 12 years, my illness progressively became worse. And it was horrific. 
Once I experienced full-blown psychosis or delusions, it was difficult to rein in my psychosis without additional medication or hospitalization because I didn't understand exactly what was causing it. So we chose to mask it instead. And I can't tell you how many times I was hospitalized or institutionalized during those 12 years. I basically went in and out every six to eight weeks. Well, I say that. My dad always tries to correct me because I went in and out so often. With each hospitalization, I felt a little less human and a little more like a walking diagnosis. However, after developing my rap, I went from 8 to 12 hospitalizations a year to none. You heard that right. Zip. Zero. Nada. My rap allowed me to take control of my illness before I lost control of my symptoms, allowing me to recognize symptoms and stave them off before unraveling into full-blown symptoms. Essentially, I created a 180 degrees change in my own life simply by learning how to use my rap. Now, instead of allowing my illness to control me, I have the tools to control it. What a difference. So in creating a rap, it's important that the person makes a rap using the guidance of a trained peer support specialist. The first time I made a rap, I did it with my counselor. And although she was well-intentioned, she didn't really understand how a rap worked. She gave me steps to follow and skills to use, but they weren't really applicable to me. And I say that because she, in our, quote, brainstorming session, would tell me when I was telling her that I had problems sleeping, she'd say, well, just turn your brain off. I was like, oh my goodness, where's the switch? I've been searching for it for the past 36 years. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't mean to get flippant, but it was kind of funny because there she was having never experienced any of these symptoms, trying to give me advice on how I could live my life with these symptoms. She was learning them from a book that's kind of like someone trying to coach in doing an Ironman race because they've watched a lot of YouTube videos on competitors in Ironman races. It just doesn't really make sense. You gotta go directly to the source. You gotta go to the people who are competing in the Ironman challenges. And so that's what I did. I found myself a peer support specialist. So the second time I created my rap, I did that with a peer support specialist who'd been through the Copeland Center for Wellness and Recovery's official rap facilitator training. And internationally, there are rap facilitators. One of the unique characteristics about each of these rap facilitators is that they all have some kind of lived experience with symptoms of mental illness and have learned to recognize that experience and polish it in a way to help others create an effective wellness recovery action plan. A vital component of RAP requires understanding what you're like when you're well. And part of knowing what I'm like when I'm well leads me to better understand what I'm like when I'm not at my best. And in doing so, it allows me to recognize potential problems and take measures to stave off this unraveling, which can occur if I don't recognize it. I mean, how many times, it doesn't matter what lifestyle you live, how many times have you been swept off your feet and not realized that you were getting sick, or not realized that you actually hurt yourself, or not realized exactly how bad things had gotten, because you'd gotten so distracted and so caught up in life. It happens all the time. Wonderful people get burnt out in their professions because they've forgotten how to take care of themselves. They've forgotten to recognize when they're starting to not feel well. That's the same thing that was happening with me. It was just on a larger scale. In recognizing when you start getting unwell, you can be proactive and become 
proactive in your own wellness. So a large part of Marilyn Kelplin's rap is personally brainstorming and even enlisting the insistence of trusted loved ones to help you recognize what you're like when you're at your best, what we're like when we're well. Many people have been unwell for so long that they forget what they were like before they became symptomatic. And having a trusted friend or loved one brainstorm these characteristics and personality traits of one's wellness allows the person to rediscover themselves. So allow me to give you an example from my own life. After living with my illness for nearly 10 years, we'll say, about that time in my life, I basically believed that my true self had died somewhere along the journey. It was discouraging to compare myself to my previous life, before symptoms, to what my life had become. And when I sat down with a loved one to contemplate this change, it was heart-wrenching for both of us. As we started identifying who I used to be, I really didn't believe that I could live like that again. But in writing down who I used to be, it, it actually helped me to identify behaviors and habits and quirks that helped me feel like my old self. And this, in turn, helped me to return to those basics, allowing me to experience, at first only momentarily, who I once was. So if you'll indulge me, I'd like to share with you some of the real me in an effort to maybe help you identify your real self or maybe the true self of the loved one. And I say that because oftentimes when we live with a family member who has mental illness, we get so caught up in their symptoms that we forget all of the rest of them. So imagine I'm just sitting here with my two hands in the air, both palms are facing you, and I am sporadically wiggling my index finger. It is wiggling by itself, flapping in the breeze, and all the other nine fingers are just nice and straight. So when you look at me, what are you going to be focusing on? You're going to be focusing on this one spastic wild finger. You're not going to be focusing on the nine other normal ones. And that's so often what happens with humanity. We get so caught up in the one irregularity that we forget to recognize all of the things that are just basically pretty common. So let me share with you what I'm really like when I'm well. I am cheerful. I'm not easily upset or offended. I'm basically an extrovert and being around people actually energizes me. I obviously regularly shower, I wear makeup, I complete my house chores, I wear clean clothes, and I even enjoy doing my hair. Following these complicated conversations is not a problem for me. Creativity, I've got it. I can come up with simple solutions to complicated problems, I am a natural problem solver. Ideas come naturally to me. Maintaining my line of thought long enough to carry through a conversation comes naturally to me. Completing tasks, setting goals that are achievable, and creating plans to achieve them are all within my innate nature. And I generally have a to-do list for the day, and I steadily work through it. And if I don't, I don't beat myself up about it because I know that the next day I'll have time to work on my to-do list again. I kind of keep like a running to-do list. That way I don't ever have to beat myself up for not doing the things because I don't believe in shooting on myself. Yes, I said that out loud. Do not should on yourself. Do not should on other people. Anyway, this list includes a lot of things. It includes daily basics. Like, uh, personally, I like to read my scriptures. I like to take walks. I like to pray. 
I like singing at the top of my voice alone in the car. And in general, I'm pretty upbeat. I'm pretty humorous. I can find funny things in even the most boring, mundane things. I laugh easily. I sleep deeply. And waking up, I feel energized and enthusiastic about the day to come. That's honestly what I'm like when I'm well. And this description of what I'm like when I'm well is individualized, and it's not going to look for the same for other other people. For example, I have a friend who's an introvert, and she finds peace and energy when she's alone. So she's the exact opposite of me. And for her, quote, isolating is actually a good thing because it helps her recharge her batteries. For me, being by myself isn't exactly fun or revitalizing. So identifying what's one's like when they're well goes beyond identifying this professional baseline that people talk about. A baseline helps the clinician recognize what is the person's normal behavior. But the problem is there can be a huge discrepancy between what a person's, quote, baseline behavior, affect, and personality are like when their brain is on fire and what their baseline personality, character, and behavior is like when their brain is not on fire. So, for example, for about eight years, my eight, well, we'll say 12, my baseline meant a lot of suicidal ideation, auditory hallucinations, and not understanding how to care for myself, resulting in regular decompensation and regular hospitalization. And unfortunately for me, that had become my new normal. And my inpatient psychiatrist expected nothing less. He expected that because he honestly believed that that was my baseline. But that's not what I'm like when I'm well. For me, the most valuable part of beginning my journey with a rap was learning to identify what I was like when I was well. It had been so long since I felt well that it was actually very difficult, but it was an enlightening process of discovery. Coupling that with recognizing and planning for circumventing the severity of triggers, it enabled me to fine-tune this process of maintaining my own wellness. And over a course of several months, I began to become more adept at recognizing when I very first felt a little bit off and then work to get myself back on track, much like the switch of a train track. I don't know how many of you have actually been out to a train yard, but the faster I became at recognizing when things were off and understanding how they became undone, the easier it was to put myself back on course. And I use this analogy of a train track because one of my heroes, his name is Gordon B. Hinckley, he actually told this really cool story when he used to work for the railroad, and this was way back in the 30s. He said, one day I received a telephone call from my counterpart in Newark, New Jersey, who said that a passenger train had arrived without its baggage car. The patrons were angry, and we discovered that the train had been properly made up in Oakland, California, and properly delivered to St. Louis. But in the St. Louis yards, a thoughtless switchman had moved a piece of steel just three inches. And that piece of steel was the switch point. And the car that should have been in Newark was now in New Orleans, 1,300 miles away. I realized when I heard that story that previously I had lived as that thoughtless switchman, bumbling through life without recognizing my triggers until my proverbial life's train ended up in Jersey while I sat teary-eyed and lost in the equivalent of a destination at which I'd never intended to arrive. 
And within several months of meeting my very first peer support specialist, I had acquired enough proficiency in using my own wellness tools and self-assessing how to improve my wellness that I moved out of that abusive group home that I'd been stuck in. I found a room to rent and I began working a part-time job. That was just within the first six months. It's now been almost 10 years. Things just keep getting exponentially better. From there, the more I fine-tuned my rap, the closer I became to achieving my goals. And one by one, I learned how to take those, quote, grandiose goals and break them down into achievable parts. Over the years, I began achieving things I dreamed about while locked away. Those things that my mental health professionals really did call grandiose. But, but just because they couldn't envision how my life would unfold didn't mean my dreams were unattainable. My success springs from an ever-increasing ability to self-assess recognize what I'm like when I'm well, and dig into my highly refined wellness toolbox at the first recognition that I might be a little bit off course. And this refining, this refining process allowed me to begin recognizing foods and other causes of inflammation or agitation, ultimately leading me to a doctor who recognized my refractory psychiatric symptoms were actually caused by toxic encephalopathy. And the beauty of a wrap is that when we work together to brainstorm wellness tools, we pull upon valuable resources like of accumulative knowledge. Together it becomes this synergistic effect, allowing us to finally stop getting blindsided by our symptoms or blindsided by these feelings of being overwhelmed or burnt out, allowing each of us to get back on track and arrive at our preferred, unique destination. It's never too late to get back on track because potential, human potential, has no expiration date. Yes, you heard that right, folks. There is no deadline on potential. What I want you to do, the call for action for this particular episode, is I want you to sit down in a quiet place without distractions, turn off your phone, turn off anything that might be distracting, and get out a piece of paper or maybe get out a notebook because we're going to be going through this and creating your own wrap. So what I want you to do is I want you to sit down and just kind of brainstorm what you are like when you're well. And you're welcome to share that with me. And go ahead and while you're at it, write down those three things that went well today and why you feel they went well. And send them to me. I love to hear from you. My Email is emotional self reliance podcast at gmail.com. That's emotional, E M O T I O N A L, self reliance, S E L F R E L I A N C E, podcast, P O D C A S T, at gmail.com. Emotional self reliance podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to reading your emails. That's the conclusion of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining. If you feel that this could help someone, please be remember to share it with them because who knows? Together we can make 2019 amazing. I totally think we can. How's that for Southern California speak? I totally think we can. Anyway, I hope you have a fantastic week and I look forward to talking to you next week on Wellness Wednesday. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast. For more information about this episode, check the show notes on www.psychrecoveryandrehab.com slash ESR podcast. 
Was this episode helpful? Leave a review and share with a friend. Keep exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential by tuning into our weekly episodes. Until then, take care.